BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman, and here's what's happening today at Newsweek. We're talking with Arthur Brooks. He is an author of the book called From Strength to Strength. It's a best-selling author prior to this and a Harvard professor. Arthur, great to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you, too. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. You know, so I was looking at the uh, the idea of this book, and I think you found yourself a few years ago in the position I find myself in, which is the ripe old age of beginning the second half. I'm 51, just turned 51 last week, and you at that age decided to do an investigation, right? Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, I was about 50 years old, and, and I was thinking to myself, well, gee whiz, I'm a social scientist. I study happiness. It's my specialization. But there's almost nothing for people who are getting older. There's this assumption that if you live right and play by the rules and hope for the best, that you'll probably just get happier or not. Nobody knows. It's kind of like up to luck for most people. I thought that can't be right. And so I actually started looking at the patterns in the lives of the happiest people who literally got happier as they got older, all the way to the end. I'm not talking about there's this typical period between 50 and 70 where almost everybody gets happier. But I want to know 70 and on. What are they doing earlier in their lives that predicts that they're going to be happier at 75 and 80 than they were at 25 and 30? And I found the seven things that basically they all do. I think I cracked the code. So you did basically social science, right? You did what Napoleon Hill did, which is go talk to a bunch of wealthy people and find out what they know. Uh, You studied, you know, not success literature, but you studied individuals and you said, I want what they've got. They've got happiness later in life, you know, long term, win the marathon kind of stuff. And you think you've figured it out. Biggest biggest problem for most people is they either don't have any plan or they kind of assume that it's just going to take care of itself as they get older, right? Yeah, that's right. And that's a mistake. And, you know, I didn't actually do it just kind of like the way the self-improvement writers do it. I'm a PhD social scientist. You know, I'm supposed to actually be able to read the academic literature on that. The trouble is that most people that didn't suffer through a PhD, they can't read that academic jargon and that technical gobbledygook. And so, but that's what I do. And so I was able to translate that into practical strategies and then look at the patterns, you know, who's actually living this way as opposed to simply writing about it. Boy, oh boy, did I ever find some very, very serious and and, and clear patterns and, and mistakes that all kinds of people are making that, you know, we don't have to make. We actually can be happier at 75 than we were at 25. So before we get to the, the, the kind of the seven things, which I, of course, I want to get to, what is the typical? Like if people, a lot of people probably think nothing about how they're going to achieve happiness. They just hope it happens. But if you had to assign paradigms or strategies to people generally, maybe even the ones that don't work, what's the typical expectation? I do this and I'm going to become happy. Yeah. The typical expectation is be as successful as you can and then bank it and dine out on it for the rest of your life. And that turns out to be completely wrong. Now, there's all kinds of things about success that are good. I mean, have a happy family life and, you know, raise your kids right. But that's not how most people think of it. They think, you know, make as much money as you can, get as much money in the bank and save as much as you can. And those are, I suppose, good things to do. But they're just not predictors of happiness, as it turns out. On the contrary, the people who actually make the most money and have the most success early in life, they tend to wind up being really frustrated later in life. And the reason is because 
they notice that when the success is gone, I mean, look, if you never do anything with your life, you won't know when it's over, quite frankly. Uh, but if you do a lot, you're going to know when you actually decline. And that turns out to be the number one problem that, that I call the striver's curse, as a matter of fact, that they think this is going to be protective. They think it's going to be really great. If I can get just like, make the finish line, man, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. And the answer is no, you won't. It seems a little bit like the guy who is the superstar high school quarterback and 10 years later, he's going to the reunion, still wearing the letter jacket, bragging about you know what he did way back when. And that guy is typically pretty miserable, but you can get to be 50 or 60 in life and have achieved something, look back on it and find out that that's no more satisfying than the trophy you're looking at from 10 years ago in high school. Am I on the right track here? Yeah, that's right. And and most people are not going to be the, you know, the, the high school quarterback or the, you know, the captain of the football team or the homecoming queen. But um, a lot of people are trying to do a lot with their lives, whether they get rich or not. Most people actually don't care that much about being a billionaire, but they want to do well. They want to be excellent, as it turns out. And, and there is a very, very uh, serious and clear curve of success that people get on early in life. It's called the fluid intelligence curve. And people get really much better at what they're doing, whether they're air traffic controllers or or, or their contract, general contractors or plumbers or you know, professors at Harvard University, our, our trajectory of early success all kind of works the same way. Work hard, get better at what you're doing, have more success through your 20s and 30s. And then the problem is it tends to turn around. People start burning out a little bit. They get a little less interested in what they're doing. And the reason for that is because fluid intelligence is something that actually occurs in the brain and it tends to decline in your 40s and 50s. What made you good at what you're doing gets harder and you actually see yourself not as good as you used to be. It's very common. It's so clear that in professions where you got to be on your game, they retire you. You know, that the retirement age for air traffic controllers is 56. And the reason is because their fluid intelligence has declined to the point they actually see differences in skill. Most of us can hide it, but we start noticing ourselves that we don't quite feel on our game and we don't quite like it as much as we used to. And so the first thing is to recognize that that, that is actually just the first curve of success. And most people don't know. And the first habit of the happiest people is they actually figure out that they have a second curve that actually happens when you're old and you got to retool your life and retool your goals and jump on that second curve. So you build your life in the beginning around something that you're good at. You become better and better at it. But then at a certain point, you peak and decline. And that leads to frustration. If you continue to find success and happiness on that, you got to find a different track, something that's going to show up later in life, a path you can actually follow with declining physical and sometimes mental capabilities. So what's that other path about? That's well, the first path, remember, is called fluid intelligence. There's a second kind of intelligence that's been identified by psychologists for a long time, over 100 years. But now it's only now we're only recognizing that everybody gets both these curves. The second curve is called crystallized intelligence. And that starts increasing in your 40s and goes up really quickly in your 50s and 60s and stays high in your 70s and 80s. Whereas the first one is, you know, hard work, lots of concentration, innovation, the ability to solve problems, answer people's questions faster than others. The, the second curve, the crystallized intelligence curve is kind of your wisdom curve. It's your ability to teach your ability to understand how all these things hang together. It's your ability to see problems before other people see them because you've had a lot of experience. You can't recall names as quickly, for sure. You can't innovate as quickly, which is why there are very few uh, software entrepreneurs over 60 years old. There's some, but very, very few. 
Uh, people don't have Nobel Prize winning innovations after 50 years old, generally speaking, but they're really good teachers. They're really good at synthesizing knowledge. They're really good at building teams. If they're leaders, they bring together other people's ideas. So you have your own ideas early on and you help synthesize other people's ideas later. And if you can jump from that one curve to the other, that's the first big secret of getting happier as you get older. Do you have to have been a high performer on the fluid intelligence curve in order to be successful on the crystal intelligence curve? Or can you find out late in life, oh, I think I missed the beginning, but how do I get back on the train now? No, you can't. You can, there, are, there are a lot of people who peak only once and it's later. I mean, that's actually a pretty interesting thing. So people who are kind of, they're slacking a little bit early in their life or they just had bad luck or they just didn't have too many opportunities. But later on in life, when they actually start seeing that they have this other set of skills, they, they actually can jump on it. And in fact, it's what, a pretty interesting thing. If you didn't have that first curve, you might be more open to the second curve. The problem that these first curve strivers have is that they like handcuff themselves to their first curve and ride it all the way down into the basement and then stay bummed out for a long, long time. So the trick is absolutely be a striver, be really ambitious, work hard, build your life but don't stay on the curve too long. Make sure that you're really alert to the new skills that you have. Jump on that second curve. That's what the really high performing, happiest people have. And look, I discovered this over the course of my research, looking at this really esoteric social science. And, and I said, I wonder if it's true. And I did it. And it's true. It's amazing. I jumped from one curve to the other and I'm happier now than I was 10 years ago because I'm actually in sort of this crystallized world. I mean, I, I went back to teaching and writing and speaking and you know, synthesizing ideas from other people about happiness. And I'm telling you, I've never been happier. Maybe take a second and explain why the term fluid and why the term crystal for intelligence, because uh, they don't intuitively come to me with that meaning carries. And it might be easier for people to remember if they grasp why the labels applied. So fluid intelligence means you're fast is what that means. It means you can solve problems fast. Think of a river just racing through. I see something coming. I, I just, I'm on it. That's what fluid intelligence, crystallized intelligence means there's just a lot of sort of crystals of, uh, of, of, you know, facts and knowledge and truth out there. And you know where all the crystals are and you can form them into a beautiful sculpture. So your brain might not be quite as facile. Your brain might not be as fast, but it's dense with these crystals of, of sort of crystalline truth, if you will. And that's how the guy who coined the term, a guy named Raymond Cattell, a British social psychologist, that's why he talked about it that way. But there's just case after case, historical cases and all kinds of papers that have been written over the past 50 years that show absolutely you go up, you go down on the first curve. The second curve comes up much later and stays high as long as you get your marbles. So second half of life, trying to get on that second curve. Talk a little bit about how do you do that? What does that look like? Are there opportunities that are easily available to do that? Or even if they're hard, what are those opportunities? Well, to begin with, you have to be willing to make a change. You have to be willing to make a jump. And that means you got to have a lot of faith. And most people, not most people, a lot of people who are high achievers early on, they just, either they don't know the curve exists or they're like, it's too much trouble. Or, you know, frankly, they just, they're, they're too addicted to the success that has come in the first part of their life. And, and again, this doesn't mean you're rich and famous, but you can have a lot of success and not be rich and famous. You can just be really, really good at what you do and enjoy it and just not have the energy or the initiative to want to do something else is what it comes down to. So the number one thing is having the, the courage and the energy to say, I'm going to do my new thing. And maybe that means changing jobs. Maybe that means changing careers. Maybe that just means changing the emphasis in what you're doing. And I've seen this a lot. So 
for example, you know, I know a lot of lawyers and, you know, lawyers early on, they're, you know, associates in law firms and they're just fluid intelligence up one side and down the other. They're working 80 to 100 hours a week, solving cases, cracking stuff that nobody else can. They're fast. They're good. They're, I mean, they have incredible amounts of energy. And later on in their 40s and 50s, so they keep trying to keep up with the young bucks. They just, they fall behind. What they get really good at is actually, uh, is, is administrating, is, is supervising teams of young attorneys and saying, look, you guys, you're about to make a big mistake. I've seen this mistake a hundred times. Go in these directions and solve these problems, and we're going to put it together as a team. That's why you want a managing partner in a law firm who's 60. You don't want a managing for a law uh, partner in the law firm who's 30. You want the hot young killers who are 30 working for the managing partner who's 60. And, and the most important thing for the managing partner is tons of crystallized intelligence. Well, the uh, book is From Strength to Strength. Arthur Brooks is the author. It's, uh, as you heard, all about the proper curve, getting on that curve, recognizing what you can do. And I got to ask before we let you go, is there a third or a fourth curve? <laughs> or do we ride curve two? <laughs> there isn't one identified in the literature, but one of the things that you do find is that the people who do this right, they just get better and better at their crystallized intelligence curve. And I know people in their late 80s, in their 90s, who are still doing this. This is one of the reasons that when I say historian, you don't think young kid, you think David McCullough, 88 and still going strong. He's a crystallized genius. Arthur, great to meet you, and I know this is going to be fascinating for folks to listen to. I know you're a teacher, and I know you enjoy teaching and sharing these ideas. So uh, thanks for sharing it with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it a lot. Absolutely. Really interesting stuff, and uh, well, you heard it from him. A lot of a lot of things to digest. You can head over to Newsweek.com for not just stories, but commentary and thoughts, and of course, our growing podcast lineup. Please consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek.